Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. One of the things that has just been for Julie and me amazing in the, in the last eight or nine years has, has been the whole process of becoming a grandparent. And I, I got to tell you, I love being a grandparent because it seems to bring all the goodness of having little children in your life. Grandparents may be able to relate to this. And most of the downside is not there, right? Most of the parents can relate to that. But whether it's being a grandparent or a parent, and hopefully all of you who uh, maybe are grandparent or parent or an uncle or an aunt or you have a small cousin or something like you can relate to this, and that is seeing something through the eyes of a child. One of the best parts of being a, a grandparent is you get to take them on these little adventures. And you get to see something fresh with new eyes because they don't have the experience yet. They haven't gotten jaded. They can't anticipate the outcome. And so they see things in a a completely fresh light. And often that leads to wonder. So uh, last summer, my my grandchildren were in town and we took them up to Woods Canyon Lake. How many of you have ever been up to Woods Canyon Lake? Now, to me, I've been going to Woods Canyon Lake since I was a small child. My dad loved to fish for trout. This is one of the places where we would always go. So I've got great memories of fishing at Woods Canyon Lake when I was a small child. But it was so fun to take my grandkids there and fish with them last summer just because there was so much wonder in their eyes from the lake, from the whole process of fishing and catching fish. It was amazing. And don't you think sometimes it would be really, really cool if we could, for ourselves, the people who have had a lot of experiences and seen a lot of things in life, recover some of that wonder. What I'm going to tell you is, I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. And it may not be always natural, but it can be supernatural, Because think of it this way, when the Holy Spirit enters your heart, Jesus said this to Nicodemus, when you're born again of water and the Spirit, Jesus told Nicodemus, you're just that. What did you just hear? When you're born again of water and the Spirit. So when we become followers of Jesus Christ and faith comes into our heart by the Spirit's power, We get a fresh set of eyes, especially spiritually, but in other ways too as we look at the world around us. And the reason I'm saying this is I believe there's a big misconception about worship in our world. And as Jonathan said earlier, that's what I want to talk about today. For so many, worship is seen as a forced thing and a limited thing. And what I mean by that is, once we start to think of this little segment in our week, Sunday morning, as our time for worship, and this is the only time when we worship, and then others come along and say, you know, worship is so important, you'd better be there, and kind of wag their finger in our face, 
we're totally misconstruing what worship is all about. Biblically, worship and wonder go together. And so worship is, is and has never meant to be from God something that is forced from you, something that is mandated. Worship is meant to be the automatic and natural and organic response of your heart and mind and life to the wonders of God's love, to the wonders of the blessings that he's put in your life. And that should tell you two things. One, it's not just limited to a Sunday morning and a public worship service like this. It's meant to be part of your entire life as you look at your world through the reborn eyes that, that God has given you. And that's what I want to talk about today on the basis of an incident that happened to the disciples shortly after Jesus rose. So we're continuing, as Jonathan said, uh, to talk about Easter. And some weeks after Jesus rose, he had shown himself already to the disciples several times, but he had also given them a message, and it, it actually started before he even died. The night that he was arrested, he went into the upper room, and he instituted the Lord's Supper, and he prayed and sang with the disciples. They worshiped, and then they, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there Jesus says to, to them in the garden, he says, by the way, all of you will fall away on account of me. You're all going to you're all going to bail. And immediately, Jesus gets a very strong response, especially from Peter, but also from the other disciples. And, and Peter, for one, says, if everyone falls away on account, on account of you, I won't. I'm, I'm with you, Jesus, to the bitter end. Trust me, I will not fall away from you, even if all these other guys do. We know the end of the story, or if you don't know the end of the story, Jesus' prophecy came true, and they did all run away when Jesus was arrested, Peter included. In the midst of Jesus proclaiming that this was going to happen, I want you to look at the first verse on your notes. So he's telling them, you're going you're gonna to fall away, and you'll find that in Matthew 26, Matthew 26, 32, Jesus says, and I, I think they're too busy defending themselves to probably really hear this. He says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, Jesus is smart enough to know he can't just tell the disciples. We see this again and again in the, in the gospel. He tells them something multiple times, uh, and they still don't get it often. So, on Easter Sunday, when the women go out to the tomb, one of the things that the angel tells the women is, by the way, Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee, and he will meet you there. So this is what's happened. Jesus crucified down in Jerusalem, which is in a province called Judea. 
And now the apostles go about 100 miles to the north to Galilee to wait on Jesus to come as he's told them several times that he would, once before his death, once after his resurrection. Now picture this. You're waiting. You're just waiting. Jesus said he's going to come. Here he comes. He's coming. I think he's coming. Jesus, are you there? Are you coming? And they went, they did that for a little while, and then the disciples decided maybe we should occupy ourselves a little bit with something else while we wait for him to appear. So that's what we're reading now. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. So it does happen. And now John's going to describe it. By the Sea of Galilee is where it happened. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So seven of them. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. And this is the way I picture it. It's like, oh man, I can't, like, this is brutal waiting. I can't stand to wait any longer. I, I got to do something to occupy my mind. I'm just going out to fish. Can you relate? Like, if I know you guys, I know that you love waiting in lines. Like, if there's or the freeway, when that gets blocked up, you just sit there so quietly and patiently. You, you just say to yourself, awesome, some more prayer time. Turn up the Christian rock. And that's how you handle it, right? Because you're patient. The disciples were not so patient. And while they're waiting, they're like, we got to do something. Let's, let's go do what we know to do. Let's go to our... our you know, th that peaceful, good place. Let's get out on the lake, kind of like Woods Canyon Lake. And let's do, just do a little fishing. And so that's, that's what they do. If waiting is hard for us, and it's super hard for me, I am not a patient man. What about waiting on God? Do you have situations in your life right now where you find yourself waiting for God to show up in your life? Waiting for God to do something to help you? I'm telling you that, at least for me, maybe for you too, despite the fact that, again, not my power, not my authority, completely the Holy Spirit, I trust Jesus and his word. I think you do too. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's still hard for me to wait. Even though I know God's gracious promises, even though I know he said, I am with you, anybody know the next word? Always, to the very end of the age. Even though the Bible says, wait quietly on the Lord. Man, I struggle to wait when I want something so badly to happen. Let me illustrate this. So right now, 
we have a grant application in to our bigger church body that over the next 10 years could equal out to almost $1 million as they help us and support us uh, to, to start a second site for Crosswalk Midtown. And this, by the way, is the only reason we can afford to even think about doing this at this time is because we have this partnership and this help with what we call our synod or, or this larger church body. We submitted that application at the end of January. And I've been praying. I've been quiet. I've been diligent to go on up with my other work. But I'm telling you, I am so anticipating the day, sometime in April, we don't know the exact date, when I'm going to get the phone call and we're going to hear whether the first year of our second site is funded or not. I want you to hear three words carefully because I think they help us all no matter what we're waiting for because these are, these are words pulled straight out of the Bible. When we wait, as tough as it can be, first of all, wait quietly. See, the apostles, the disciples weren't complaining. They're like, where is Jesus? They were quiet. They were, they were waiting and trusting those promises. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even gone up to Galilee. And that's why we know they're waiting quietly. At the same time, though, here's the second word, diligently. They decide, you know, we don't have to just wait sitting on our hands. We can do what we can do. And so they went about and did what they could do. They, they went on fishing, supporting their lives. And then finally, as we'll see in just a moment, they were waiting expectantly. When Jesus shows up, they're able to recognize, because they're expecting him to show up, that it's him, that it's the risen Christ. So I want you to take those words. You might want to write them down somewhere in a, 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 a blank space, because I, don't, I didn't put a space in your notes. But while you're waiting for God to show up, whatever your situation, maybe it's a health situation, a financial situation, you're waiting for something good to happen or something bad to be resolved, I want you to think about waiting quietly before the Lord, just trusting his promises. I want you to think about waiting diligently, meaning whatever you can do, do it. Go about your work. And then I want you to think especially about waiting expectantly. If your God is your God, and he has made these beautiful, amazing promises of his love to you, expect him to come through on them. Think about this. Jesus had told the disciples he was going to die and rise again. And what did he do? As impossible as that seemed, he died and he rose again. So when God makes promises to you, you can wait expectantly. Look at what James says. You too be patient and stand firm. When I take that phrase, stand firm, I, I take it as meaning wait quietly, wait diligently, and wait expectantly. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
All right, right in, here's your first fill-in. Sometimes we can find ourselves waiting for God to show up in our lives. And let's be honest, it may feel like we're waiting in vain. Like, is, is Jesus ever going to show up? When you notice that feeling, it's time to kick in the quietly, diligently, and expectantly strategy. Now, here's the thing. Even if we are waiting quietly, diligently, and expectantly, sometimes it, it can seem that in this waiting period, nothing good is happening. Have you ever heard the old expression, when it rains, it pours? And, and, and you, you feel like you've got this weight of, of whatever it is you're, you're struggling with on your shoulders and you're waiting for God to show up. And meanwhile, it may seem like the rest of your life just isn't producing anything, that you need this problem solved first, and then life can go on. Well, check out the disciples. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught fill in the blank. They caught nothing. The whole night, they're out there on the boat producing a big, fat zero. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, look at this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Like they are on this boat. It's not an overly large boat and they're trying to pull this net in. They can't even, it's so full, they can't even get it into the boat. When Jesus does show up, he creates some wonder. Remember how we said, if you want worship to simply flow from you, respond to the wonders of Christ's love to you. Look at how amazing it is that he went to the cross for you, forgave all your sins, sends you his Holy Spirit to give you the authority and the power to change your life, and then says, on top of all that, wait, there's more. How about heaven too? And all is a gift, all free, because I love you. And then you can go on. The wonders of God's love for you, has he, as Luther says, daily and richly provided for you? Given you your eyes, ears, your mind, all your abilities? And Luther says, for all of which we should thank and praise him, serve and obey him. I love that because that's worship as something that organically flows from looking at the wonders of God. You know, when something is man-made, let's take water, for example, and you want to get water from point A to point B, very often because we're not really good at this, we employ these massive pumps. And what do the pumps do to get the water from point A to point B? They force the water to go from point A to point B. Look at how God does things. 
When God gives us water, where does water come from? It comes out naturally and organically out of the ground in something called a spring. It just bubbles up. You see, when God produces the wonders of his love in our lives, worship bubbles up and comes out. And that's how it's meant to be. Not something pumped out of you or forced out of you, but something that just organically bubbles up from your, from your hearts. And so Jesus shows up to the disciples. And he doesn't even tell them, here I am. He just says, throw your net out and see what happens. I want you to write this down. We may believe our life is producing nothing, but Jesus shows up and turns it into something producing wonder. So if you're in that right now, please understand that while your life may seem to be spinning its wheels and producing a big fat zero, Jesus is about to do something wonderful in your life. Look at Isaiah 40, 13. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor. What that means is God's brain is way too big for, for us to wrap our minds around. Now, I don't know if you know this. What just was described happened after the resurrection, but it is that close to something that happened almost immediately in Jesus' ministry when he was calling his disciples. If you got your Bible with you and you want to look at it, just turn open to Luke chapter 5, and you'll see that a very similar incident occurs as he's calling Peter and James and all these same guys to be his disciples. In fact, in that incident, when he went out, that incident, he went out fishing with them, and the nets got so full, they broke. And John actually references that. So let's, let's read on. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. You see, I think he's remembering, right? Realize that according to the scripture we have in the Bible, this is probably that period between dark and light, very early in the morning. Remember, they had been fishing all night long. They may have only been able to make out Jesus' silhouette on the shore. And so it may have been difficult. Maybe it was because of his glorified body. Sometimes we see in the, in the Gospels that it's hard sometimes for the disciples to recognize him. We don't know exactly what the reason was, but once they see what's happening here, their brain links it back to what had happened early when they were called, and they're like, this has got to be Jesus. He's truly alive. And, and, and look at Look at John's exclamation, the disciple whom Jesus loved, just bubble forth. It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, by the way, turn to the inside. This passage got bumped down to the, not the back page, but the inside page. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Man, if you don't see these hearts just bubbling, this is worship. This is, if you want to know what worship looks like, in this moment, when John proclaims it's the Lord, and when Peter puts his outer garment back on because he's taken it off for the fishing, didn't want to get it messed up, and he puts it back on and 
dives headfirst into the lake and says, I'm getting there before you guys are. That's worship. It's seeing the wonders of what Jesus has done and responding in gratitude, in praise, in following Jesus to wherever he is and wherever he takes you. So I want to take you back because depending on what you've come from, now maybe you come from a place where you've never been in a public worship service like this, and that's great. We love it that you're here. But maybe you've come from one of the other Christian denominations that's out there. And the most natural thing in the world is that when you hear a word, it evokes a picture in your mind. So many of you know that we're a Lutheran church, and if you use the word Lutheran worship, what, what picture flies into your mind is you're standing up and sitting down a lot, you're saying something back to the pastor who's saying something to you, you're singing these beautiful, and they really are beautiful hymns, and you're listening to a much shorter message than what I d- preach. If you're from another tradition, maybe worship for you is a lot of candles, communion, also very likely a brief message, and and that's what worship means to you. If you're from still another tradition, maybe worship, you've learned to think of worship as the musical piece. That's the worship. And this is the teaching that I'm doing right now. You see how, depending on your background, you can have all these pictures and thoughts in your mind about what worship is. What I, what I want to encourage you today is to see these two guys who are not anywhere near a church, who are not singing a hymn or taking communion or listening to a message, but they are worshiping because they are seeing the wonders of what God can do, of what Jesus can do. He died and he was dead and he's risen. And just as he promised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee and meet you there, here he is. And they can't help themselves. It just bubbles up like a spring. It's the Lord. Peter's like, boom, I'm in the water. It's beautiful. Turn to the back page. That's worship. So here's what I like to think of a good definition of worship. It's right at the top of the second page there. The result of watching Jesus is wonder. And that wonder will always go to work. Or worship. My definition of worship, and and I hope you can remember this, worship is wonder that goes to work in our lives. For Peter, how did it go to work? Diving in that water. Like, that was the response. I'm going after him. For John, how did it work? It's the Lord. And by the way, the other disciples' wonder went to work too. Let's check it out. John 21, 8 and 9. 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So I want to break this down because I really believe that wonder going to work or worship has two main components. Worship can either be worthship or it can be workship. So here's what I mean by that. Worship is when we praise God and we say out loud, God, you are so valuable. What you do for me is incredibly amazing and you are worth everything to me. You make my life God. So in that way, worship is worthship. But as we see from the apostles, worship is also worship. It goes to work and it comes out of our hands and feet and mouths. And when we're worshiping, we're going to serve. In fact, one of the words In Greek, for worship means to serve. It's all it means is to serve, like a a waiter serves at a table. That word is used, that picture is used for worship. So here's what I want you to write down. Sometimes we worship Jesus in our words, like John did. It's the Lord. And sometimes our wonder or our worship comes out in our actions. Sometimes we worship Jesus by plunging ahead and leading, like Peter did. But like John and the other apostles, sometimes our wonder comes out by staying behind and following. Look at what happened. The other disciples, it wasn't that they didn't worship, but they followed. Their worship looked like following. They followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. I have to believe they're thinking, Jesus just gave us an amazing gift. Like, we're not just going to leave all that behind like Mr. Peter did here. We're hauling that big net in and we're bringing it to Jesus. And when they get there, Jesus even says, let's take some of those fish and use them. Here's my point. Have you ever been to those restaurants um, where the menu looks like a book instead of just like a sheet of paper or maybe one folding? Like there are restaurants that you can that you can go to where you're like, how many things do these people cook here? Really? Like it's going to take me half an hour to make my choice because they always have these little pictures, right? That's what worship looks like. And I I think it's so important for us to understand because I think we have such a narrow view many times of what this word means. But in our lives, there's a whole variety of things that are ways in which our wonder can go to work. Where we can worship Jesus and worship Jesus Show him how much he's worth to us and then do things, take action to show him how much we love 
and honor him. So write these things down. Sometimes we worship Jesus in our words. Sometimes our wonder comes out in our actions. Sometimes we worship Jesus by plunging ahead and leading. Sometimes our wonder comes out by staying behind and following. You know that we've got some beautiful vision in this church. And if you don't know, you're about to hear some of it. You heard some of it already. You heard about starting a second site with the help of our church body. You heard about some of it earlier, and you can find it every Sunday right here. We have this beautiful vision to build a lighthouse, a landmark, and a launch pad in our community so that the gospel can get out there. And I'm so excited for that to happen. And our leadership has laid out a beautiful five-year plan for this to happen. Some of us have a vision to add a staff member so that we can help people get better connected. I I really feel like we could, in our growth, use another staff member so that we could help everyone who wants to be connected at our church find that easier. Some of us believe that Crosswalk needs a public space even in the next five years while we're waiting Uh, for the church to be built. We need some sort of office space where the staff can gather. We just came back from a staff retreat this week and we were all together for three full days. And it's amazing what you can accomplish when you're together and, you know, rubbing shoulders constantly. And those are all vision pieces. And here's what I'm about to say is some of those may happen and some of those may not. Some of those may happen now and some of those may happen later. Some of you, when it comes, for example, to the building, are going to have the ability to give a big gift, and that's awesome. And some of you are going to give a more reasonable, some of you even a smaller gift. Some of you are in debt and may need the encouragement, give your regular offering to the Lord first, not this over and above special offering for the building, and pay off your debts. So don't give anything yet to beyond borders. Because your first priorities ought to be your regular offering to the Lord. And then the second priority ought to be pay off all that debt. The point I'm saying is we're all different. And when we worship, we're going to worship differently. And that's good because it brings variety and diversity into into how we worship. Let's take the last and final section here. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. That tells you John was thinking about that earlier incident. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had raised from the dead. Jesus took some of the bread and gave it to them and he did the fish. You think that didn't hark back to earlier incidences as well? The feeding of the... 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus does this and they're like, oh man, it's so good to have you back, Jesus. 
And do you notice, do you know, maybe is a better question, on the basis of all this and, and even more appearances of Jesus after his death and resurrection, what that did to the disciples? If you go into Acts chapter 1, Luke reports how before their very eyes, Jesus ascended into heaven. And they stood there staring in awe and wonder for so long into the clouds that God sent an angel and said, what are you doing? Get after it. Didn't you just hear Jesus say, you will be my witnesses? And what did the apostles do? They went back, it says, gathered in the room and began to worship. They prayed. And from there, their hearts so full that they gave their entire lives to God. Their, their, their whole being became their sacrifice of praise and gratitude and wonder to God to the point, and you've heard us say this before, that 10 out of 11 of them were executed for their faith. Only John the Apostle ends up dying, we believe, a natural death. They gave their whole being, and that's what worship is. Worship is not part of you. Worship is not us saying, God, I'll give you a couple hours on Sunday. Worship is not saying, God, here, take my hands. Here, God, take... Take this small portion of my money. Here, God, take just my mind, but not my heart. It, if we think that we can just give God part of us, we're not there yet. We still have some deepening and some growing to go. We still have to take all the opportunities God gives us, first of all, through his promises in the scripture, through the sacraments like baptism and the Lord's Supper, to wonder at the love of God. And when our hearts are filled with wonder at his love and his power, worship will flow. And we, like the disciples, will say, God, don't just take part of me. Take all of me. Paul the Apostle knew that. Look at what he writes in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's do the last fill-in. We are wondrously loved. When our hearts are full of Jesus' love, our wonder will begin to go to work and we will worship. See the passage I put for you to memorize at the very bottom? This is about all of us belonging to God, all of our life belonging to God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Can you imagine with me for just a quick moment here what your life is going to look like if you intentionally say, I am going to every day get myself to look at the wonders of God's love. 
I'm going to every day pick up my Bible and say, what wondrous thing did God, did Christ do in this chapter? I'm going to look in my own life and I'm going to ask myself, what wonders is God doing for me right now? The very God who holds all the world's sand as if it's in his play bucket, who scattered all the stars as if he was putting up the Christmas lights. The God that has that kind of power is in your life, and while he is up here and transcendent, that same God is close to you, as close as he was to these disciples who came running to him on the seashore. That's your Jesus. Imagine the peace. Imagine the forgiveness. Imagine the grace that will flow in your heart, your mind, and your life if every day you say, I'm going to look once again at the wonders of God's love, and I'm going to let that wonder go to work in my life too. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonders of your love. And Lord, we want to worship you. You are worth everything to us. And as we think about that, Lord, help us to give our whole hearts, minds, and lives to you. Lord, help us to also worship you, to serve you in our lives, to show that we want to praise you, whether we're eating or drinking or whatever we're doing. We want that to be an act of honoring you because of the wonders of your love. Lord, we are grateful. Help our entire lives to be an act of gratitude to you in that way. Our lives will also become an act of worship. Lord, we lift up all of this to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Well, I don't know about you, but often when I wait, I worry. And it's, it's just tough not to wait without worrying and, and to try to remember, okay, quietly, diligently, expectantly, Jesus, I'm waiting for you. You've already worked so many wonders in my life. I know you're going to work even more wonders. I know that's going to happen because I'm your dearly loved child bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So as you wait for the Lord in your life, especially wait expectantly because you are his child and he has made so many promises of his love to you and use worship and wonder to replace worry as you wait. All right, before I uh, send you out, I want you to realize after the benediction, don't stand up quickly uh, because we have an announcement to make. All right, so here's the benediction first. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen. All right. You may notice that Jonathan is still up here with me.
And many of you know that for a little over the past month, he has been considering a call to a position in Appleton, Wisconsin, with a church called 922 Church. And so Jonathan asked that he be able to announce his decision to, to you personally. So Jonathan, I'm turning it over to you. I apologize in advance that uh, I have to read my decision. 13 years ago, a young 25-year-old kid and his wife, not even two years yet, accepted a divine call to a new church called Crosswalk on the south side of Phoenix. This 25-year-old kid had absolutely no idea what he was doing. But he took a step of faith and moved from his home state of Wisconsin to the other side of the country to take part in what was an exciting new ministry. And over the next 13 years, hundreds of people will come to know Jesus and many more strengthened through the Word of God. And now... 13 years later, this 38-year-old kid who still doesn't know much about this, what he's doing, has a divine call back to his home state. Many conversations have happened over the past four and a half weeks, all with the goal, with one single goal, finding out where I can best serve the Lord. And the truth of the matter is that there is no wrong decision. Whether I choose to stay or go, I have the best job in the world, and I have the best capital B boss in the universe, my risen Savior, Jesus. So after much prayer and many sleepless nights, I have come to the very difficult decision to accept the Lord's call to serve 922 Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. Crosswalk will always hold a very special place in my heart. I've been able to work with one of the best church staffs in the whole world. I have had trusted and loyal teammates that have helped me in my ministry and the greatest volunteers that anyone could ask for. And I'm especially grateful to Pastor Jeff, who allowed this young kid who knows nothing to make many mistakes and grow with him over the last 13 years. Hey, I've grown with you too, brother. Thank you. True. My family and I will be uh, making a transition to Wisconsin this summer. More details will be forthcoming on the transition plan. But I want to leave you with this promise from God's Word. A promise that both me and my family and Crosswalk will have from Psalm 121. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over both your coming and your going now and forevermore. I love you all. And may God hold us all close to Jesus, the cross, and his promises. All right, so Jonathan will be taking this call to 922 Church in Appleton, which happens to be the place also where my daughter goes to church, so I won't be out of touch with Jonathan. Um, I'm excited for this next stage in his life. I'm not worried, but wondering and worshiping God about what he's going to do here. But a, a few things real quickly. Number one, Jonathan won't be leaving until the end of May. You have plenty of time. It's not a two-week notice. At least I don't think it is. Um, you have time. Two-month notice. Two notice. Please take some time to thank him uh, for his 13 years of service here at Crosswalk. Uh, meanwhile, Jonathan graciously uh, let me and Pastor Dan know this a little bit early, so we've already begun to uh, discuss what our next steps will be in the leadership at our board meeting yesterday. 
further, it's premature to say anything yet. We want to give Jonathan uh, his moment right now. Let's just put it this way. Jonathan cannot be replaced at all, but he will need to be succeeded in some way. Um, And so we will be uh, on the lookout for his successor. Keep him, Aaron, uh, Taylor, Mackenzie, and Adeline in your prayers, will you? And with that, you're free to go.